Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of 2020 moments that I've just been like, I, I, you, if you'd have told me a year ago that we would be discussing this, I just, but this really yes. is up there for sure. If, if, yes, if, if you told me that we'd be revisiting the Cold War via a lip-syncing dance app, I would have been <laughs> like, that seems a little nuts. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. I'm super excited today, again, for the you know 83rd consecutive podcast, Jason. I am super excited for Alex Heath to join us. He's a reporter at The Information. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Alex, you've won awards, award-winning journalist. We should add that to your title. Been a guest on BBC One and Good Morning America to name a few. You, you get around a little bit. I try when I'm not reporting. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of specifically focus on Facebook, the big social media companies. That's sort of your beat for the information. Correct. Facebook is my main kind of company that I cover. And then, you know, by extension, you hear a lot of fun things about their many, many competitors. <laughs> their growing list of competitors. And we'll get to that in a second. Before we dive in, because I know you've had quite a weekend related to TikTok, the president, Microsoft, you've, you've, you've managed to fit everything in. Tell everybody a little bit about what the information is so they get just a little bit of background on the site. Sure. We are a subscription news publication founded about seven years ago that closely covers the tech industry, Silicon Valley, startups, and how they are increasingly having an impact on the you know wider world of business. So it's kind of hard-hitting investigative business reporting, you know, through the lens of technology companies that are, you know, increasingly the most important companies in really all sectors. And how long have you been there? You've been there the whole time or did you join a little No, no, I just joined about uh, a little over a year ago actually. Got it. And I okay. was at, I was at Business Insider for a while before that and then I was an early hire at uh, a video news startup called Cheddar in New York as well. Oh, sure. Sure. All right, let's dive in. So, you know, originally when we talked about booking you, it, I was Facebook, 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 obviously yeah. with all that has happened between the boycott and their earnings last week and Zuck's appearance before Congress. And we will get to that. But before we do, another little social media platform that has had, you know, you know just some modest success over the past year here in the United States. TikTok has had quite a weekend. And I know you've been sort of thrown into covering that. I'd love to get the latest on where that stands. So we're recording 4.10 p.m. Eastern on the 3rd of August. Where are we? Gosh, where are we? Well, you know, most people who follow the news have probably seen that there are a lot of concerns in the U.S. about TikTok and its Chinese ownership. It's owned by this massive, honestly, you could think of it as the Facebook of China, this massive consumer internet tech giant in China called ByteDance. And this is their first kind of hit overseas product. There's been a lot of concerns, especially kind of with rising tensions between the U.S. and China that, you know, there's national security concerns with this app and the data it collects about people in the U.S. and then also how China could potentially shape discourse and information flow through the app itself. And what's essentially happened is that ByteDance is being forced to either get out of the U.S. market completely by the government in the current administration or sell TikTok to an American tech company, at least the U.S. operations of TikTok, yep. which is growing very fast. And Microsoft, 
we learned in the last few days, has emerged as the leading potential acquirer. And they are in discussions with the White House. It's happening at the highest levels with Trump and the CEO of Microsoft to try to make sure that the U.S.'s concerns are addressed with any transaction. And they have a deadline of uh, September 15th to where they need to either figure out a deal or the U.S. under this law called CFIUS, which reviews foreign investments, is saying that it's prepared to force ByteDance to divest out of the U.S. A couple things in there. One... What are the key sort of privacy concerns as it relates to the government's view? What are the sort of major issues? With every administration, but especially this one, there's a lot of different opinions, I would say, <laughs> at the highest levels. You kind of have more hardliners like trade advisor, you know, Peter Navarro saying this is just a Trojan horse that the Chinese are using to spy on. I think he put out some statement today about how if you're an American mother, if you let their, your kids use TikTok, you're letting the, the Chinese Communist Party spy on your children, essentially. So there's that view, super anti-China, just because it's China view. There's no evidence, I should note, to support that this has happened. And actually, TikTok has said to the contrary. On the record, they've said that they've never been asked to give the Chinese yep. government data about Americans, and they wouldn't do it if they were asked, and that they store data outside of China. But it is a very Chinese-owned and ran operation. And for people who don't understand, there is, but there isn't like a, a public-private sector divide in China like we have here in America. And I guess you yep. could say is this Microsoft deal is showing that divide is also weakening here. And so the, the idea is that even just the fact that it exists and that it is Chinese-owned means that should the government choose to get data about Americans through TikTok, they can. And certainly TikTok collects a lot of information. All these apps do. Facebook does. Any ad-driven ad social app collects a lot of information. So that's kind of the more just anti-China concern. And then there's just also the concern that like we don't let our companies compete in China. So should Chinese companies be allowed to come here and take market share from American tech companies? There's a lot of different views of this, but it's, I mean, what we've seen is the government feels very confident that TikTok is a national security threat. And, you know, the military has already told, you know, personnel to not use it on their phones, et cetera. So it seems like the tide has definitely swung so far in that direction that it's it's not going to change. Yeah, it had been building for some period of time, right, with some of these right. announcements from, I mean, even private companies such as Amazon made a statement, I don't know, two and a half, three weeks ago where they came out and sort of strongly encouraged their employees not to use it. And then they kind of backed away from it a little bit. It was sort of one of those deals where it's like, oh, you know, we, we mean it, we don't yeah, mean it. Yeah, that's a weird one. And we still don't know really what happened there. But no, we don't. There, there was a notice that went out and then yep. tense discussions at the highest levels between Amazon and TikTok. And then they put out a statement saying that that notice was sent in error. So someone went rogue inside Amazon. The old do-over. Yeah, that's that's the current state of affairs with TikTok. But, you know, there could be others that come in and try to buy it. There's been a lot of different, you know, theories floated about that. So this could all change very quickly. So last question on TikTok, because I, I do find this part of it in equal parts sort of disturbing and interesting. It was reported by the Wall Street Journal, I don't know, not too long ago, maybe an hour ago, that there was a provision of some kind or request of some kind by the president and the administration that somehow the treasury benefit in some way through mm -hmm. some fee or special one-time taxation device or who knows what, finder's yeah, fee, who knows what? Know, matchmaking who knows what? fee, who knows. 
and it looks like Microsoft is at least open to this idea. Is that true? Yeah, and I think it seems clear that that is how this is going to go through, according to the president and according to the statement that Microsoft put out. There's some kind of treasury element here where you could see the political benefits that this could incur to Trump and for his base, you know, especially as he's running for president again. But yeah, there seems to be some kind of agreement that will happen where the treasury of the U.S. will get some kind of special fee or taxation credit or something as a result of this transaction. We really don't know what that means or looks like and what the legal grounds are for that. We're still trying to figure that out. Interesting. I should note, Microsoft is a client of both Dentsu, Aegis Network, and Kara. So for being open and transparent, I should note that. So let's talk about Facebook. It's never boring on the Facebook beat. Never boring. Nope. But the past couple months have been particularly crazy. Spicy, yeah. (laughs) So I guess I want to start, I think, with the sort of moment when Trump comes out with his kind of, you know, protest guns come out comment. And at that point in time, Twitter goes in a particular direction as it relates to some level of editorial oversight commentary. Facebook takes what I would describe as, I guess, a more in the raw cloth libertarian bent, which is kind of their nature, right? And then there's an enormous sort of debate that starts, the stop hate boycott movement starts. And then from there, you know, we're here we are a thousand advertisers later in a boycott. Let's sort of start at that beginning. How did all that happen from your perspective? And what have been kind of your observations along the way? Well, I think obviously there's, Facebook is always the source of a lot of contention and there was a lot of frustration in certain circles, especially in the civil rights side, that they weren't, you know, adequately addressing concerns about harmful, you know, incendiary, hateful comments and content, you know, on the service. And I think what you saw with, you know, yeah, the Black Lives Matter movement, the the George Floyd shooting, all that stuff, and then Trump's comments around that. And then we got into this debate about should private internet companies be potentially censoring the president? a new debate really in the, in America. And that puts brands right in the middle of it, right? Because these, com- yep. these companies and these platforms are powered by brands. And so you saw a few people see an opportunity to say, well, we've had a lot of frustrations. We don't feel like Facebook has been taking this topic seriously. Let's use this moment. There's unrest inside Facebook, you know, in an organized way for really in this level the first time in terms of employees you know, voicing their concerns, you know? How significant is that? Like in your reporting, your observation, because we hear a lot about that, right? Sure. That there is a, in effect, a a movement, you know, within Facebook. How real is that? How manifest is that? You know, is it impacting morale? What does that look like right now? I think it has and it is, but I think the, it was at its highest, you know, fervor, within that few week period when the boycott was really, when it was like every day, it was like X list of brands just joined the boycott, you know, as that build up to a thousand brands kind of happened over a period of a few weeks, I think there was a lot of internal strife at Facebook and there still is. I do think a lot of it has died down. I think people have felt overall inside Facebook pleased with how seriously the company has engaged on the topic in terms of just talking about it and saying, we are doing this, we're committed to doing this, we're going to do more. They definitely haven't turned a blind eye to it. I don't think even the sharpest Facebook critic could say that, that they've turned a blind eye to it. Whether they've done enough is a whole other topic. But 
I would say that the state of things internally is better than it was when all this started. And, you know, I think a lot of people like to think like, I'm making a difference. And certainly like these brands have made a difference in terms of like shining a light on this issue. But really what makes the most difference in these tech companies is the employees. I don't know how I could put it any more plainly. Like Facebook has 9 million advertisers now, right? And it has far, far fewer employees. It has a lot of employees, but it has far fewer. Those are a lot harder to to get and keep happy than another advertiser. And they mean a lot internally, like what the employees want. And so a lot of this stuff we've seen, like the labeling stuff Facebook has now experimented with, actually was the direct result of employees suggesting it. It wasn't taken seriously until that happened. So... There has been an element of the of the boycott, I would say, influencing what employees then push for. But I think it's very safe to say that Facebook senior management is not like doing any specific measures as a re- direct result of the boycott. I feel very confident saying that. So you think it's been the internal pressure that's been more important? Any external pressure that then becomes internal because it's either a lot of people think that it, they agree yeah. with it or it's just so overwhelming but I don't think Facebook is saying, oh, wow, X thousand brands want us to do all these things. Unilever is not yeah. running on us till, you know, maybe 2021. That hasn't made a difference. No, and, and we there's the earnings too that, get, that really explains why they feel this way, right? That we can get into. But yeah, that's, that's their general view. Yeah, I, and I do want to get into earnings in a second. One last thing on this. In covering Facebook for a while, do you think yeah. this is the most movement you've seen among senior management? at Facebook as a result of pressure? Like, you know, if, you, if you're just using 2016 election, yeah. Cambridge Analytica, have they been more agile, nimble, open, transparent this time around in your estimation? Mm, I'm not no? sure. I'm not sure. I think there's different factions. I think I think there's people inside that want to take this more seriously yep. than upper, some others in upper management do. I think it's pretty split. I think they care deeply what like the civil rights community thinks about the platform because then those groups put pressure on brands, you know, as we have yep. seen. I think they care deeply about what their independent auditor that they hired, Laura Murphy, who yep. helped run a huge part of the ACLU for a long time, noted civil rights activists. Like her recommendations go a long way internally. She made a lot of recommendations that actually are in line with what the boycott wanted and went further, I would say. Yeah, I would say that her review was not glowing. It was not at all. I talked to her about it. I mean, she, I think she did a good job of, and for people who don't know, this is this, it's a very long audit of Facebook's kind of policies that has been ongoing for two years now that they released in kind of the height of all this. They're going to be adopting more changes that is, that are in that audit. And so, yeah, I think when you look at like that and just kind of how they've engaged the advertiser community in the last few weeks, it's clear that they are trying to be nimble. I think in terms of like Facebook historical moments, I would put this as not as bad as as Cambridge Analytica actually. I think I would agree. The 2016 moment for them was a huge reckoning beyond just what advertisers felt. It was it had impacts in every area for them. So let's jump to that quickly though. Because you're right. I would agree. I, I think that that was a more, in some ways, existential moment for Facebook than this has been. Yeah. We sit 90 some odd days from an election. Will be the most contentious election in the history of the United States, including no doubt. pre and post Civil War reconstruction, you name it. What have they learned? You know, did they talk about what they've learned and did they feel like they're going to be able to deploy? a set of controls around either foreign interference 
or influence in a more effective way than 2016? Or are they nervous? I think they're nervous. I think they have come a long way since 2016. I think they arguably have the most sophisticated defense mechanisms of any other online platform. That may be a controversial opinion that makes me sound like a Facebook shill. I'm not. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's objectively true. There was actually a European Commission report from the commission that showed that they actually remove harmful content at a higher rate than Twitter or YouTube. I think they do care deeply about this. I don't know if they care about it as deeply as like other product consumer strategic things that they think are, you know, how they're going to reach the next billion users, right? I think that's like probably always going to be more top of mind. I think what a lot of people would probably like who are very passionate about this, and rightfully so, is that like the mindset switches inside Facebook at the highest level where the content moderation, civil rights issues become the top priority in the company. I just don't think that's ever going to happen. I just don't think that's ever going to be how the people that are in senior leadership now will view it, the platform and the opportunity. Well, some of this gets to the philosophy of what they think they are, right? This whole sort right. of resistance to the idea that they're actually a media company, right? I mean, that's they have a philosophical bent that they are not a media company, they're a technology company, even though right. they're a media company. They're both. They're all of the above. They're kind of a new, a new thing, right? Which yeah. is why this is so hard to talk about and regulate. But speaking just to this election, I, I do think they're going to take a lot of action, but I'm sure things will happen that they didn't anticipate and we didn't anticipate. I think in 2016, they literally weren't even trying to anticipate what would happen. And I think now they at least are. That's like the biggest yeah. shift, I would say. And like, you're not going to hear them saying it's a crazy idea that so-and-so could have swung the election like Zuckerberg was saying in 2016. Like that, that yeah. era is over. But there's going to definitely be stuff that happens on the platform that's bad. Like no question. Absolutely. It, it has Absolutely. 3 billion users. I mean, this is kind of like Pandora's box at this point. Yeah. And even if you are able to do 99.9% filtering on hate speech, for example, yeah. that means by sheer volume of the transactions that you have, you still have a lot of interactions. Right. And I think theirs is like 89%. Yeah, no, like I, I'm aware that they're nowhere near 99. They're right, they're nowhere Trust near me. 99, but like even, yeah, to your point, even if they were, it would still be hundreds of millions of pieces that's of right. content. And, and as an advertiser, you know, that's unacceptable, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Just to kind of carry on real quickly, because I think this election point, because all these things are related, right? So we've, we've spoke to a ton yeah. of clients in doing our POV work. And I know you and I talked a little bit about the POV we were writing last week. What comes through from clients is one, quite clearly, there is a long bubbling undertone of frustration at, frankly, a sense of disinterestedness that they perceive from Facebook management and, and arrogance. And, it, you know, you're talking about significant organizations in the world, right? Unilever is not a client, so I'll use them as an example. I think they're a good example of an organization that has, I think, a level of frustration over Facebook's reticence slash failure to deal with these brand safety issues over the past couple of years, whereas some platforms have done more, frankly. If you look at Google and YouTube, they've done a lot more. Now, again, they had to do it because there was an existential issue with YouTube three years ago with ISIS and what have you. Having said that, that, so that's sort of thing one. Thing two is that wrapped up in this is a sense that to your point, something is going to happen in the next 90 days that is going to be completely unknowable, uncontrollable, and materially impactful. And that if you happen to be, you know, <laughs> in the part of the meadow where that tree falls, it is going <laughs> to fall on you. And that the potential impact of that varies from 
you can weather it to it can blot out the sun. And I think it's, it's on that front where clients get deeply uneasy about the situation. I think that's not confined to Facebook, but certainly it's more sort of acutely felt about Facebook at this moment. Do you think there's recognition of the advertiser or marketer sentiment amongst the population of Facebook? Do you think they understand what the concerns are? Amongst Facebook users or Facebook management? No, amongst the employees and management. I think so. I think, so I I reported on some comments that Mark Zuckerberg made to employees kind of around the height of all this where he said privately that this is a reputational issue, not an economic one, which we've seen borne out through, you know, Facebook's Q2 earnings and their forecast into Q3. So, I mean, he recognizes that it's a reputational issue for the company. If this snowballs into something that is beyond just a certain cachet of, you know, high spending large brands that have a lot of brand affinity and awareness, then if it spirals beyond that, that's a much bigger issue for the company. I think they could honestly, if it came down to their ideology being tested by, say, their top 100 advertisers, they would choose their ideology. I think that's true. That's a thing that brands have to wrestle with. And I do think like Facebook acknowledges that they need more brand safety controls. They have it for video relative to the feed. Feed and stories are kind of the Wild West in terms of you have no idea where you show up, which is obviously... Yeah, I mean, news feed's the big problem, right? Stories are are smaller scale. News feed's the problem. They're smaller scale, but they're growing quickly. And Zuckerberg himself has even said he expects stories to, you know, output content to stories to outpace feed in the next couple of years. So I think we, as marketers, you know, that should be in the discussion as well. But should they build something that lets, you know, gives you some kind of guarantee that you're not going to be next to QAnon in the newsfeed? Like, can they do that without giving up any kind of like user data or in anything that's like a, you know, security risk? They're making those kind of trade-offs right now. They're thinking about that. I don't think we're going to see any like massive brand safety overall of the newsfeed, but... I mean, they have committed to some external audits, you know, that sort of thing. I think their argument is just going to be going back to what I said earlier, that we are actually better at doing this, at policing this stuff than all of our competition. And I'm not sure that that's an argument that a lot of the marketers that I talk to are happy with. Yeah, I I want to be super clear. That's not going to win the day. If that's the argument, it's not going to win the day. It's not, but I mean, Zuckerberg does have a point that they probably will be back. Like maybe not some of the big ones. Maybe some of the big ones realize that going direct, especially in the pandemic era, is a better value prop for them and something they should have done a long time ago. If you're not the North Face, but you're trying to be the next North Face, you don't have any like ability to avoid this platform, right? Well, and, and frankly, a lot of those DTC companies, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, they are built performance out to brand. And so their focus on performance has, by their very nature, made them have a much greater tolerance for risk in the brand safety area. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, could we see a situation where Trump does something crazy on Facebook and, you know, X well-known household, you know, Clorox is next to it and therefore Clorox is canceled by a wide swath of the population, I guess. I mean, we didn't even actually see that with what started all this. You know, I think brands actually had the foresight to say, we just need to like get out while we can because like that George Floyd post, it wasn't like brought to you by Coca-Cola, right? Like, No, look, it was not like the YouTube ISIS situation in which there were material marketers adjacent to, you know, beheadings and some some just awful stuff. But I think that's one of the reasons why this actually is 
I think it's a more acute issue is because there's broader recognition of what the problems are. And, and I think, you know, it's much higher top of mind for marketers. Yeah, I'll just say like, if you as a brand, if your bar for this situation being comfortable again for you to, to kind of re-engage, if your bar is that Facebook commits to getting all hate speech off the platform, like I have a bridge to sell you. That's just not going to happen. I mean, I don't know who in their right mind, like I know that that's a goal of the boycott is to get yep. Facebook to commit to this. But I mean, when you're dealing with 3 billion people, how, how can you? I mean, you've yep. so... Scale alone. Yeah. And yeah, the scale alone. And we're not even talking about private groups, right? Which is where a lot of this stuff is increasingly Wait, happening. Yeah. And so they're in a tough spot. But I do think, you know, for better or worse, Zuckerberg is kind of right that a lot of these brands will come back and they'll do it quietly. And then probably what will happen is one or two of them will be caught up in the next controversy. And that will maybe cause some others to, but it's happening at such a scale that is just not matched with Facebook's sheer advertiser base because I think we saw the the tally has kind of stood at about 1100 brands that are in this boycott that's been the case for a little while now which means that the momentum is slowed and I you know I've talked to boycott organizers they're trying to go to Europe now pressure European brands which they'll probably have some success in doing but you know say they get to 2000 right we're still we're not talking about a significant thing for Facebook which leads us to earnings Mm -hmm. didn't seem to have an impact no, to the contrary, actually. I think they did this specifically because they wanted to show that the boycott wasn't having a material impact. They don't usually give guidance like this about revenue growth, but they actually said for so for the second quarter, they beat on earnings, on user growth and revenue growth, and then said that uh, you know in the first few weeks of July, which is when the boycott started, that their revenue growth yearly percentage held steady, 10%. And that it actually, they actually predict that it will hold at that same percentage for the rest of this quarter. So not only are they saying that it didn't hurt them when the boycott was at its peak, but they're projecting that even as it continues, it will not change their revenue growth. So there you have it. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's this thinking that like this is going to cause some kind of you know economic pressure on them to act in ways they wouldn't otherwise. There you go. So that leads us to kind of the third element of last week, which was all four of the big tech giant CEOs sitting down to talk to the extremely well-informed members of Congress. <laughs> Jim Sensenbrenner, obviously leading the list. <laughs> I guess my question here is this. This might be an area where there are things to worry about if you're Facebook. I think from both parties, for different reasons, there is a sentiment that some things need to change as it relates to antitrust engagement. And certainly you can envision a scenario where if either party wins or maintains the White House in the, in the Republicans' case, that this could be on the agenda, or at least some elements of this could be on the agenda. Oh, yeah, it certainly will. Yeah. So what did you make of that? And what was sort of your expert opinion of last week? Well, I mean, as it pertains to Facebook, I guess, the main issue for them is kind of predatory acquisitions and this idea that they take out rivals merely to take them out, not because they're you know, actually going to try to integrate them to make the products yeah. better. Instagram was the kind of the example that was held up in the hearing. WhatsApp, I think, certainly falls under that camp. And so, you know, there's this thinking, you know, maybe the government will force some kind of unwind of Instagram or WhatsApp. I just don't think that that's going to happen. And I think if they brought that lawsuit, that Facebook would challenge it and keep it in the courts for a decade plus, as long as it could. That's how antitrust works. Any direction is a decade. So will we see some kind of stricter, you know, 
rules around what kind of mergers are allowed in the future, hopefully. That would be the, I think, more concrete way you could address this versus like unwinding things that were approved by these agencies years ago. But I think it's very clear that Facebook does, you can't say they have a monopoly, but they have a stranglehold on a significant part of the digital ads market. And they've used acquisitions to further that. So if we potentially see, you know, more, you know, regulation down the road, because this House Antitrust Subcommittee is going to be releasing recommendations in the next couple of months about how to address antitrust issues with each of these companies that will then potentially become, you know, proposed legislation. So if this prevents Facebook from its next predatory acquisition that then consolidates the ad market further, that could be a good thing for the ecosystem, but that's going to take a long time to bear out. So for now, you've got what you've got, which is Google and Facebook and then a few others that are trying to slowly take little bits of the pie that they can. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But you know, with TikTok now, like who knows, right? We could be living in a TikTokless world in September and then... <laughs> then it all kind of shifts again, right? So it's it's definitely an exciting time to be covering all this. And I definitely have no idea what's going to happen next. So my daughter, no fan of Trump to begin with, let's be clear. She's uh, almost 17. But I have rarely seen her as irritated about a current events topic as she was with the TikTok thing. I mean, obviously, the social unrest and the George Floyd thing aside, because she, she was clearly yeah. upset over that. But but in terms of like a business news story, I don't yeah. think she's ever paid attention to a business news story. Yeah. Uh, and she was out of her mind on Saturday, like, what in the world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And honestly, that's that's wild to think about that, you know, the president could be making a decision based on people telling him, like, look, if you really ban this app, like you, your hope of this contingent of voters voting for you just got thrown out the window. I mean, TikTok is used by at least 80 million people in the U.S. and obviously skews very young. I'm not the sure healthy that, dose of them are not voting. Yeah, age, so I'm, I'm assuming he's not really worried about the, the impact to his voting base. But it is crazy how these business stories can become bigger cultural ones and political ones, geopolitical ones. Yeah, and it is, it's interesting. Uh, it's remarkable to me that we're having these kind of conversations about China versus U.S., geopolitics, trade tensions, all in the context of this really goofy lip-syncing app, right? Yeah, like, like lip-syncing dance app, yeah. Last question on this, and then we'll jump into the lightning round. My last question is this. Facebook gets so much coverage that it's hard to imagine there's something that is sort of uncovered. But what's the one thing that people should be talking about in terms of Facebook at this moment that they really aren't talking about as much? I would say in this moment, and this pertains to antitrust, it pertains to the ad stuff, content, all of it. It got talked about a little bit, but it has fallen off the radar recently. Facebook is in the process of this thing they call interoperability, which Mm. is essentially going to interlock all of their apps so that if I am a Facebook user, I'm an Instagram user and vice versa. And it just kind of happens with a click. And so all of a sudden their user graphs become merged. And so there's no difference between a WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram user. They're all the same. And it's kind of like the... 
kind of packaged goods approach of like you've got the d- distribution center and the like main corporate that then makes all these brands that all come from the same place and share yep. the same resources. It's that idea in social media. So they're like the PNG of social media essentially. And this is them doing that to the utmost degree in a way that, you know, critics say is anti-competitive because it locks people into the network more, makes it harder to leave, et cetera. That is all currently very much underway. They have not stopped that work. So, and then also what they do with encryption, how they turn that on, where they turn it on, that's going to be very big to watch, especially with this administration. There's a lot of fears about encryption. And what does that do for brand safety, right? If you're in an encrypted environment and they can't see anything, this whole conversation about brand safety kind of gets thrown out the window. So those are the areas that with Facebook in particular, I would be watching. Yeah, the walled gardens get more walled. That's exactly what's happening. And it's a function of ad targeting being restricted as well at the macro yep. level, at the operating system level with Apple, at the regulation level with GDPR, et yep. cetera. As it's harder to track across the web, the larger companies will become their own silos. And we're seeing that's that right. already. And that, that's what's pushing the commerce stuff, Instagram shopping, all of that. If I can't measure a purchase anymore on another website, I'm going to want you to do the purchase on Instagram. So that's right. That's the where everything is headed, and that's where it gets existential for agencies. But that, my friend, is a separate podcast. Exactly. So let's do this. You survived. You've made it to the lightning round. This, in theory, is short answers to short questions. Almost Got never it. works out, but we'll try. <laughs> Best piece of content you've recently consumed, not your own. I would point to The Atlantic has a wonderful series on misinformation and conspiracy theories in America. And they have a really great feature on QAnon, which I learned a lot about through this and have realized now that I have some family members who believe in it. So I would sadly really, you're not alone on that front. I would really, really encourage everyone if you have heard of QAnon, but you're not quite sure what it is, it's going to only become more important as we head into the election. Read, look up the Atlantic QAnon's coverage. And non-written, I've been watching a lot of video, obviously, at home, as everyone. There's a show on Amazon called Zero 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 that I love that is kind of about an international Coke ring, distribution ring involving the Italian mafia, the Mexican mafia. And it's looks, it's like the Godfather, but it's kind of on steroids and it's probably has the most insane budget of any show I've ever seen. So highly recommend that Zero Zero Zero. I hadn't heard that. All right. I'm all over that. Zero Zero Zero. Got it. Most enjoyable personal moment of quarantine? Of quarantine. Okay, interesting. I live in LA, so being able to go to the beach in a distanced way has been really fun. Malibu, that sort of thing. Take our dog to the beach, I would say. Kept your sanity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not been easy to do that. Favorite article you've written? Gosh, I have several. I would say... I did a story for Business Insider when Mark Zuckerberg was touring the U.S., doing his kind of faux presidential tour where he was like... No, I remember. Boy, that sounds quaint. Yeah, remember those this was days? like 2017, 2016. He was like having photos taken with like feeding goats yep. in like rural Ohio and stuff, riding tractors. I did a story that just tracked like the... Uh, kind of world around him as he moved through these small towns, like the security apparatuses, the like the lead teams that go in and like make sure the houses he's going to have dinner in or, you know, whatever safe. Like I did that kind of like showing what really goes into one of the world's richest people like doing something like this. And I was pretty proud of how that turned out. It actually (laughs) kind of showed that he was talking to Trump and thinking a lot about Trump at a time when we didn't really know that. So I would say probably point to that one as one of the most fun ones I've done. He's clearly one of the most fascinating people in the world for a a number of reasons. But one of the things that's always struck me about him is 
he tries to, I think, although it's, you know, he's got a personal style that's not exactly the warmest, I think it's fair to say. But he does try to give up this man of the people vibe. Like, you know, the, these challenges he chooses for himself every year where he's, you know, going to slaughter his own meat or whatever it was a couple yeah. years ago or, you know, any of that. And yet, I just, <laughs> he's, he's anything but a man of the people. It's very interesting. A dichotomy, for sure. Facebook or Instagram? I guess Instagram. I mean, I actually don't post much on social media at all, which is kind of ironic considering I cover it. I mean, I tweet a lot, but it's just work-related. Yep. I haven't posted on Instagram actually on the feed all year, which is a record. But I would say Instagram, but I'm also using a lot of just private messaging nowadays. I don't do a lot of feed-based social media. Best advice you've ever received? I've received a lot of good advice. I would say like in work with like reporting, probably the best advice was just to always ask. Like you'll never know if you don't ask, which seems is like so obvious, but like you'll never know if X person has heard of this thing you're trying to confirm unless you just ask. And then yep. if they decide to not tell you, then, but if you let your fear keep you from asking, then yep. you'll never know. So I try to yep. kind of always think about that. Last one, thing people should know about you, but they don't. I don't know if you should you should know this about me. I was the Kentucky's uh, Settlers of Catan championship winner one year. Really, There's a lot. <laughs> and how does that? That's where I grew work? up. But I, okay, I so just, you're from I just, Kentucky. Yeah, I uh, just won a tournament. I, I was really into that board game. I am very infrequently speechless on this podcast, but this is one of those I didn't see that coming. That's like my two truths and a or you know two truths and a lie type type thing so you got that oh for sure alex i can't thank you enough for joining thank you this is fantastic thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the human element remember you can get us anywhere you get your pods please give us a like send us a comment subscribe and we'll be back out to you real soon bye-bye